0: Aerosol sprays and refrigerants show up in our day-to-day lives, but the chemicals originally used to make them have had extremely harmful consequences on the planet. They've depleted the ozone layer that protects us from the sun's harmful UV rays. Now, the UN has found that after decades of global action, the giant hole above Antarctica is actually starting to heal, and it's on track to be fully mended by the year 2066. So here to explain is Stephen Monska, ozone scientist with the NOAA's Global Monitoring Laboratory. Welcome, Steve.
1: Hi, Sasha. Good to be with you.
0: And Christina Dahl, Principal Climate Scientist for the Climate and Energy Program at the Union of Concerned Scientists. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Christina, how is this even possible? Because I I remember hearing about all of this all my life, and it seemed like it was something that was just never going to get fixed.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So we discovered that we were depleting our ozone layer back in the 1970s. And fairly quickly after that, countries around the world committed to something called the Montreal Protocol, um, which committed them to phasing out their use of these harmful chemicals like CFCs that were essentially breaking down the ozone in our atmosphere. That treaty was strengthened and has evolved over time. And now 99% of countries' uses of these chemicals has been eliminated. And so we now have a better balance in our atmosphere between the natural production of ozone that occurs just naturally without any human influence and the breakdown of ozone molecules, which was being caused by those chemicals. And so it's allowing our ozone levels to start recovering.
0: What's your reaction, Steve?
1: Yeah, Christiana has it right there. We at NOAA are tasked with measuring ozone and measuring the substances that cause ozone depletion, and we've seen some uh, dramatic turnarounds in the ozone depleting gases um, since the Montreal was passed. They were increasing dramatically before that time, but have decreased uh, since that time in the mid-1990s, just a few years after the protocol was initially agreed to.
0: Yeah, it's incredible, though. I mean, what would happen, Christina, if we weren't working to heal our ozone layer? Like, talk about how the ozone layer impacts our day-to-day lives.
2: Yeah, so the ozone layer is really critical to our lives because it protects us from the harmful UV radiation from the sun. So that radiation can cause problems like skin cancer and cataracts. It can also cause problems for crops and other plants and, and animal ecosystems when the montreal protocol was passed it was a time when our use of those harmful chemicals was increasing very rapidly as we discovered more and more potential uses for them and so by phasing out that use we are allowing ozone layer build back up but also a lot of those harmful chemicals are also greenhouse gases or heat trapping gases that can contribute to global warming so By phasing those out, it's estimated that we will have avoided between half a degree and a degree Celsius of warming by the mid-century time frame compared to a scenario where we would continued to use those gases and ramp up our use of them over time. Mm
0: -hmm. Steve, how did we know that these chemicals damaged the ozone layer?
1: Well, in the 1970s, as Christiana mentioned, scientists were seeing these chemicals increasing in the remote atmosphere and realized and started to study them, started to study their properties in the laboratory and realized that there was a potential because they were so long lived in the lower atmosphere that they could be transported to the upper atmosphere and undergo um, degradation there and release their bad actors their the bad chemicals for depleting ozone right where the ozone layer was. So Mm -hmm. it it involves scientists working in the laboratory to understand the chemistry of these chemicals once they were released in the atmosphere.
0: Well, I know you work directly in, in monitoring the process of, of healing the ozone layer. So talk to us more about how it works. Help us understand.
1: Uh, what in particular, how the healing works or how the monitoring works?
0: Yeah, the entire process. Because we're, we're picturing this image of, you know, a Band-Aid when you think about healing the ozone layer. But what does that really mean?
1: Yeah. Well, Christiana mentioned that there was a balance between production and destruction in the stratosphere of ozone and that the ozone depleting chemicals altered that balance so that the destruction rates were, were higher. So it's a balance. We've, get, we've got regular production and destruction of ozone happening in the stratosphere. If you fa- affect that balance, you get lower ozone levels and more UV radiation at the surface. For ozone depleting substances, we measure those at remote sites around the world so that we can characterize global changes and understand how global emission rates from the sum of all emissions from all activities human um, and some natural um, how those are influencing the abundance over time of these chemicals, and as I mentioned, because the production and use of these chemicals drop so dramatically over time, yeah. their emissions drop, and we saw their concentrations peak and and since decline.
0: Christina, global leaders came together in the '80s, as, as we've discussed, decided to ban the production of the chlorofluorocarbons that caused the depletion of the ozone layer. Can you talk about how that happened and how they agreed to it? Yeah.
2: So it's really remarkable and it's kind of a beacon of hope for uh, the climate crisis and international agreements around climate change because the Montreal protocol has been so successful. So um, the protocol was uh, put into place in the mid to late 1980s and countries around the world started committing to it right away. Uh, first, we had industrialized countries like the United States committing to it, and then developing countries came, kind of came next. And part of what's made it so successful is that there are uh, there's a multilateral fund that provides financial and technical assistance to developing countries that produce and consume very little of these compounds so that they can comply with the protocol. We've even seen when new countries are formed, they are automatically um, joining this, this protocol. And so we really have an entire world that has committed to um, and, and really has action sustained for decades now to address the use of these CFCs and other harmful ozone depleting. Substances. Um, and, and so it really shows us that countries can come together to solve major global environmental problems. Developed nations like the United States can support developing nations in reaching their environmental goals. And, and with these full commitments, we really can restore our planet and our atmosphere.
0: Steve, the, the U.N. monitors the progress of the Montreal Protocol, and it found 99% of these harmful chemicals have been phased out. Can you tell us more?
1: Yeah, the UN has countries around the world report how much is produced and how much international trade of these chemicals occurs from year to year. And I believe that that's that 90%, that 99%. They track those records of consumption and production of these chemicals. And we as atmospheric scientists get to understand whether or not the atmosphere is changing as a result of these declines in production, or whether or not there's some gaps in the knowledge, or whether or not there's some unusual changes, like maybe some of the reporting wasn't accurate.
0: To be clear, we we have to continue to ban these chemicals, right, Steve? It's not like we can just return to them now that we're actually making progress.
1: No, that is exactly right. The recovery dates that are projected are presuming continued compliance with the controls that are in the Montreal Protocol. So different chemicals are now available for use um, that don't damage the ozone layer as much or don't damage it at all.
0: Well, as we mentioned earlier, 2066 is, is the year that the ozone layer could be fully mended. How do we know that, Steve? Is it possible to perhaps even make it happen sooner?
1: yeah that uh, uh, yes, uh, you know, the parties to the Montreal Protocol meet twice a year still, even ever every year since the 1980s, to understand whether or not additional controls might be um, considered for these substances. And they have on their plate now different options for how they could act if they chose to, um, to accelerate the um, recovery.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And we're talking about a recent UN report that shows that we are replenishing the ozone layer and the giant holes are expected to fully heal by 2066. Our guests are Stephen Monska, who's an ozone scientist with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and Christina Dahl, a climate scientist with the Union of Concerned Scientists. So, Christina, the, the forces that caused holes in the ozone layer, they didn't cause climate change, but efforts to replenish the ozone layer, they are helping fight against climate change. Can you just help us understand that?
2: Yeah, for sure. So both the ozone hole and climate change are problems that have been caused by people, but they have somewhat different um, causes. So ozone depletion has been caused by our use of chemicals like CFCs that break down ozone in the atmosphere. Climate change is caused by our use of fossil fuels, namely oil, coal, and gas. And when we burn those fuels, they release carbon dioxide and other heat-trapping gases that then warms up the atmosphere. So they are two separate problems, but there are some interesting and more complicated connections between the two. Most importantly, a lot of the substances that deplete ozone can also contribute to global warming. So by phasing them out, we're actually avoiding more warming in the future. There's some other complicated interactions. Like um, we expect that um, by increasing uh, our greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide and methane, we will actually, um, we would expect to see global ozone layers increase because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And ozone in the atmosphere can affect things like the circulation of the atmosphere, which can shift climate patterns, but they're not the primary cause or consequence of climate change.
0: Steve, what are your other takeaways from this report?
1: Well, I think you've mentioned some of them about, and Christiana has also, some about the global cooperation uh, can be a success story when everyone gets on board um, and decides to solve a problem. It can take a long time and the time scale for getting together, agreeing, understanding the issues at hand for every country so that they can finally get on board takes time. The chemicals that cause the problem also have long, they're very persistent in the atmosphere. So one of the reasons why we don't expect the ozone layer to heal for quite some time is that these chemicals are very persistent in the atmosphere and only, only removed very slowly. So that's true for both the greenhouse gases and ozone depleting gases. So recovery takes time. There's other things related to the developing countries, bringing them on board. And I'd also say that I think one of the reasons the protocol was a success was that the initial protocol, as Christiana mentioned, was, wouldn't have solved the problem, but it was an incremental approach. It was a small step And only subsequently, after the parties to the protocol met, did they continue to strengthen the protocol because they realized that the situation needed those additional controls. And there was a continual back and forth between the scientists who were monitoring the atmosphere with the policymakers to update them on the state of the science, on the state of the ozone layer, so that they could discern and determine whether or not additional controls were necessary.
0: Christina, what are you going to be keeping your eye on next?
2: my eye on the fossil fuel industry, to be honest, because part of what has made this ozone uh, recovery so possible is that big chemical companies got on board and found alternate uses or alternate chemicals than than the CFCs that were causing this problem. And we haven't seen that level of support or change from the fossil fuel industry when it comes to addressing climate change. So when we think about what could have been in terms of climate action over a relatively similar time frame to what we've seen um, over the with the ozone problem, um, you know, to me that fossil fuel obstruction and deception really stands out as a barrier to having made progress over the last four decades. So that's what I'll be keeping my eye on.
0: We'll leave it there. Christina Dahl is a principal climate scientist for the Climate and Energy Program at the Union of Concerned Scientists. And Stephen Monska is ozone scientist with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Thank you both.